Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 115. So as the title suggests, this is going to be the final episode of the podcast. So I'm not stopping it for any particularly dramatic reason. Uh, it's just a case of, I kind of wanted to go on a high. I've completed a lot of those sort of like objective episodes I wanted to do, like sort of doing the big episode 100 collaboration and a few of those interesting projects since. And so I wanted to go on a point where I'm still really infused and while, you know, people are still listening. So um, this episode's not going to be anything particularly dramatic. I haven't thought of incredible clothes for it or anything. I thought with this episode it might be nice to do a bit of an interspersed kind of like reminiscence about the six years I put into it. I know it's a, a little self-indulgent, but it might be fun to have a, a look back at some stuff. And I'll intersperse that with kind of a normal episode. So there's, there's a couple of newer albums I kind of want to talk about. And I might throw in a couple of retro reviews I sort of never got to... Um, through the, the other 114 episodes. In terms of reasons for stopping, I don't exactly have a, a decent answer beyond, yeah, just, I don't know, there, there's always always a worry doing this stuff by yourself that it's total shit, or, like, just, you know, not relevant or useful or, or entertaining, and um, I think I have a tendency, especially when doing these by myself, to get very in my own head that everything I'm saying has been said before, which is probably true, but... Whether that's still entertaining or not is a, is kind of a, a different matter. And as much as I kind of like and am proud of a lot of what I've done with these podcasts, it's just, it's not always the most fun doing this by yourself where you have to, you know, grapple with the idea that this might be rubbish or what you just spent the last, like, four to six hours recording and editing might have no value or worse be something that kind of pisses people off or, or offends people, you know, I'm in the realm of reviewing and I, I do try and steer clear of this stuff, but, um, like, yeah, you definitely, you say negative things about bands every so often and that I kind of want to probably step away from or maybe you know, keep to myself a bit more in future. But as I say, I wanted to cover some new music uh, to give this episode something else to it rather than just entirely reminiscing. So let's get into some stuff I've been listening to recently. Uh, I think this is mainly going to be albums from, from the current year and we'll start with one that came out I think just this week. This is Miscreants from Italy with their debut album Convergence. So this band was sold to me immediately by the band photo. It's um, sort of this very washed out colored picture of um four young looking guys all wearing bright white trainers um short kind of like surfer shorts and cut off uh, t-shirts of some very old school logos like it literally looks like a photo of atheist from like their first album and unsurprisingly they play a mixture of technical death slash thrash metal very akin to that early atheist um early pestilence the kind of cynic in the demo days, you know the kind of sound I'm getting at. Their their vocalist sounds like Martin Van Drunen. He he's also the drummer for the band uh, Andrea Feltrin, and yeah, it like he really has that style of growl, which is obviously so perfect for that kind of death thrash style sound. The guys in the band, I think they are like they say they all look relatively young, but they've got a lot of other projects on the go like most of them have released albums with like two or three other bands so you know these guys are incredibly experienced musicians as you would hope for a band doing something that's kind of complex and technical and yeah the the album totally lives up to the the kind of artists it's clearly referencing 
we get that fantastic, like, ever-changing kind of short, flashy, fairly brutal songs with amazing bass and drum work in them, like these really kind of complex, hard-to-follow structures that still kind of feel cool and riffy. The, 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 the atheist model where, like, everything is kind of turned up to 11 in terms of technicality, but they still remembered how to write a cool, catchy song. The the stuff that like kind of really sets us apart is when they go into these sort of slightly you know self indulgent sort of solo sections, they they're just incredible. Like the guitar solo in the opening track, uh, "Flame of Consciousness," absolutely brilliant. Like really wonderfully melodic, and but yet still like kind of very complex. And not to be outdone, the bass player, uh, Amalia Zena, um, gets in some incredible sort of lead stuff on the fourth track, No Empathy. He has this fantastic, like, tapping solo that's, like, really heavily effective and it just sounds, like, really beautiful. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of really awesome stuff. They throw in a few, like, sort of curveballs, like, the second track, Fall Apart, has this very um, extreme sort of stop into an acoustic break halfway through it. That, that, yeah, it feels like a real interesting left turn in the sound. The recording's amazing. Um, in terms of the mix, and actually kind of the playing as well, this does put me in mind in a lot of that cool Chilean stuff we've um, heard in the last couple of years, like sort of suppression or mental devastation, those kind of style of bands where there's a lot of emphasis on the rhythm section, but not in that just overpowering snare and kick drum kind of sound like the bass has a huge presence in the mix um you get to hear a lot of like the really cool like intricacies of the drum performance so there's loads that sort of you know gives this a chance to be elevated above those kind of classic bands it's clearly sort of referencing because of you know the wonders of, of modern recording but they, they they've clearly you know gone to that extent to not make this sound too kind of clinical because I think this could could kill a thing like this. It, it needs that kind of slightly natural feel of a band playing together, and I, I think think they sort of really happily walk that middle ground. The um, album covers this brilliantly chaotic collage of hundreds of colours like with this central picture that I I can't even pass exactly what's happening in. As well in the um, in the kind of foreground or the bottom there's this sort of bridge with all these images underneath it and i keep there's lots of sort of like graveyards and stuff and i keep thinking their references to things that's like i can't work out whether one is is a reference to like some classic like finished death covers like um like sentence or convulsed or if they're just like you know just similar ish or i don't know what's quite going on there i might might have to do like a side by side there uh, but so yeah, they they, they nail uh, the album cover, um, and and the album really is the perfect length for this kind of thing. It's thirty two minutes, like eight tracks. This really incredibly tight product where there's just absolutely no fat on it. Every bit of it is wonderfully kind of memorable, and it's interesting as well because the band have been around a little while. They like, had a previous incarnation where they put out an EP and they put out a couple of demos ahead of this. So I really like that Miscreants, with their album Convergence, have like honed this to the best half hour, rather than giving us, you know, every idea from the five years they've been active, which, you know, for a lot of bands could end up like a 70-minute long album, particularly for guys, you know, this technically proficient. They, they, you know, they must be sort of 
drowning in weird and wonderful ideas. So yeah, just an absolutely brilliant debut album. Next up, I want to cover another band from Italy. This is Assumption with their second album, Hadean Tides. Much like uh, Miscreants, these guys are in a load of other projects with a couple albums under their belt um, that I don't really know well. And actually, I wasn't familiar with Assumption like until this album came out. I think purely it caught my attention because it had a cool cover and it's on Everlasting Speed Records, who... I tend to pay attention to for this kind of vein of death doomy stuff. Like they've got a really good run of this in in recent uh, kind of years. These guys, um, they're they're hardly sort of a unique twist on the death doom formula, but there's there's a lot to to really sell Hadean Tides. It's very brutal for for the genre. The the vocals really remind me of the kind of first Ahab album, that very deep in the throat, rumbling low. And the music has a great kind of lean towards the death end of Death Doom. Like the the music is mostly not fast, but it's it has the kind of complexity and weirdness you'd expect from some of the slightly more esoteric uh Doom. There's well, the esoteric death metal, I should say. It's yeah, it's extremely heavy, but also extremely varied. And has a thing like I think what Everlasting Spew sort of seems to be kind of more and more characterized for recently is um having just great tones to this kind of stuff. Like when like if you're playing this kind of genre, you do need to have like a fantastically heavy 
rich guitar sound and that's kind of what grabbed me straight away of assumption is like combination of really liking the vocal delivery and really liking the sound of the guitar made me you know sit down and give give the album like it's due time um it certainly gets into the kind of uh doomy side of things in terms of the track length Daughters of the lotus track three is like a nine minute long song that kind of very slowly builds and the album closes with the the 14 minute epic black trees waving like a hugely like almost verging into like funeral doom territories but then stuff like quest and hours um gets a bit faster and more kind of classically brutal there's some weird sort of departures in this album which i initially had me worried uh breath of the dedalus i'm just definitely how you pronounce that um is a six-minute kind of break in the middle of the album where things go just incredibly quiet. So it's mainly a synth instrumental piece, and that I felt kind of overstayed its welcome. But where they they really pulled me back with this idea of introducing some weirder stuff was with the second-to-last track, Triptych. The song starts with this kind of echoing, like slightly sinister bass guitar riff that sort of repeats the most of it and the vocalist does this kind of spoken word like very close to the mic kind of strange creepiness um and it sort of continues like this for a while and then towards the end suddenly bursts into these kind of huge heavy guitar passages and then back to the lower sinister stuff, and then back to like a really heavy crescendo for the last minute that leads perfectly into the final track, giving the album this really cool kind of um, move where, you know, the last almost 22 minutes of its hour runtime are almost feel like this continuous build-up or this continuous progression, which yeah, I think... Close it really strongly. Having that progressive touch in there, I just found to be really interesting. Now, I don't think it'd be the final episode without getting in a nepotism corner of some kind, and this is one I've been kind of wanting to do for ages, so really excited. I finally got to cover an album from this guy. So, the band I'm covering is Imperium, with their third album, Ex Mortis Gloria. Imperium is one of those band names, I think there's about 20 entries under it, under Metal Archive, so you're looking for the one from, I think they generally go as by Bristol-based, uh, but you're pretty best off looking at uh, album titles so ex mortis gloria is the is the name came out again this year and they they play a kind of brand of technical death metal that 
I, I don't think would be unfair to say takes a large influence from Nile. So the in this course of this episode, I'm definitely going to be doing some thank yous and so on. And Mike Alexander, the main guy behind this project, is certainly on a list of people who deserve thank yous for kind of what this podcast is. So uh, when I was about 15 or so, Mike used to give me guitar lessons. And at that point in time, I was, you know, starting to get into death metal and other bits of extreme metal. And this guy was like the most amazing gateway to so much of that stuff that he was around to sort of, you know, advise on albums to get into, sort of lent me loads of stuff. Like, yeah, we definitely traded sort of a lot of CDs back in uh, back in that point of time, sort of the early 2000s. And yeah, opened my eyes to a huge amount of stuff. I think sort of really particularly notable getting me into stuff like Atheist and Entombed and that, that kind of world of sort of early death metal. And sort of around that point in time, he got really into the band Nile, um, particularly like their Annihilation of the Wicked album. And Mike's a fantastic guitarist, and not hugely later, so sort of 2010, he formed this project, Imperium. So Ex Mortis is their third album. They, they've sort of put out Sacramentum back in 2012, had a few lineup changes, put out Titanomancy in 2016, and then, as I say, this year we get this, this new one. It's been interesting following this band because, I mean, the concept of a friend doing something that takes influence from that kind of Nile school of very epic technical death metal was extremely exciting. For me, I kind of felt Sacramentum missed the mark. There was, it is by no means a bad album. I really like a lot of the riffing and playing on it. I just wasn't always a huge fan of the, the vocal delivery and the... Um, the overall mix was uh, was a bit a bit frustrating. Titanomancy really leveled out a lot of those issues. Like uh, the vocalist they got in for that album, uh, Doug Anson, was absolutely incredible. He, he sounds like absolutely brilliant on it. Funnily enough, the drummer for Unfathomable Ruination, really talented guy, and and the the album itself was was brilliant. Um, the the only the only real issue with it is I, I felt it could have done with a couple more sort of changes of pace, but the kind of that sort of highly technical riffing was incredibly on point. But um, after kind of lineup changes, we're now seeing the band as a full four piece with you know guitar, drums, bass, all that kind of stuff actually filled in. New vocalist again for this album in uh, the form of Zach Jetta. So, so far in this review, I've been doing a lot of comparing them to Nile, but let's, let's get into the actual sound of the band, because Imperium do have do have their unique spin on that kind of like technical death format. So, the core of their sound is this ludicrous fast riffing. Like, the, the two guitarists on this album are playing these like almost hard to comprehend fast riffs like particularly they say the leads on this album are very quick but just the riffs in general are supremely fast these very quick runs and like like chugging at a really hard to comprehend kind of pace and what i like about this over sort of a lot of detective is it's always remembering that kind of thing of sounding evil and heavy despite the pace and complexity. Like, the the wrists do seem to be trying to serve as atmosphere beyond just, you know, 
showiness. Like they 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 do seem to be following that uh, that core thing. The um, the vocal delivery is incredibly brutal. It's but it's still got that clarity and. Um, Zach does vary it up nicely. He goes for some kind of long, higher screams in there. There's a couple that kind of sit in that very guttural register, tending to go for kind of a, a more mid-range for the most of it, which which works really nicely because you know it makes the lyrics quite passable. Um, the the kind of theming of the lyrics has always been for this band around like Greek and Roman mythology, which. Again, really cool subject matter, you know, in the vein of something like XDO, but I feel somewhat less cheesy than their delivery. And, uh, you know, that's, that's that's kind of great fertile ground for kind of brutal lyric writing. Uh, Mike's leads do really stand out as a highlight, and obviously I mean, I'm completely biased unless he, he's a friend of mine, so I, I obviously want to enjoy those kind of moments, but I really like them. They, they, have, they do have that sort of... Carl Sanders thing that always strikes me a Nile I've always enjoyed of using those huge bends to make like very intense sounding moments between the kind of shreds they they there are always noticeable like kind of highlight points on the songs um what I think uh Ex Mortis has over say some of the the previous Imperium albums is I think the band have embraced changes in pace a bit more like because this is so fast and overwhelming um there being moments where things slow down and get a get a little more doomy is kind of a ridiculous phrasing of music this quick but you know things having those moments to get a bit more epic really does work in its favor um burning crucifixions in the garden of nero uh i am reading the wrong song title i totally met under the shadow of giants under the shadow of giants like gets a bit slower and more epic over its longer like eight minute runtime. there's also a load of great sort of moments of atmospheric interlude uh paramorsum the opener is it was like a minute long kind of um mixture of like synths and acoustic guitars as a build-up but a lot of these kind of these portions of epic almost kind of like classical-esque noise coming between a lot of the songs which uh, I, I feel feel is a nice sort of interlude to this kind of stuff it works well to to break up the the sort of runtime of this album and we even have like um guest female vocals to add a certain degree of uh of kind of epicness to those kind of moments um uh, and you know if you, you ever wanted a kind of selling point and something like this the the album is actually graced by dallas tolawade in the form of the guest solo on uh the aforementioned uh burning crucifixions in the garden of nero which is is a very cool moment because he actually has a very different style of lead playing it that that particular solo really just unsurprisingly stands out as a as a very cool moment on it. I mentioned those kind of interludes before. Something I really enjoy about this album is how they've kind of merged them well into the tracks. Like uh, some of the moments towards the middle of the album, like Echoes of Slain Kings, like the, the, the kind of almost interlude bits fully interweave with the opening riffs of the song, lending a kind of real like epicness to them. And that, that track actually really stands out as a cool moment where the riffs have a very sort of noticeable groove. Again, with this kind of real overwhelming kind of super fast tech death style that, that can get kind of lost in the maelstrom 
Now, I don't think this is going to be an album that sort of convinces anyone who has, you know, who doesn't like the style of mixing of modern tech. Definitely, this this does have that kind of very thick triggered kick drum sound. The um, that kind of wall of guitars has that kind of you know modern tech death heft to it. But I've said this before when talking, say, about bands like Mifras. Um, it's hard to play at this kind of speed and give this like a kind of if you were to give this like a natural like wolves in the throne room style mix it sound like a soup it would it just wouldn't work so this this sort of um i think really fits the the genre certainly and the the level of technicality on display is it's kind of mind-blowing I, I i really can't get over sort of the the sort of pace and complexity of a lot of this stuff and it, it i think the fact they kind of managed to wrangle that back into kind of almost melodic and uh groovy moments at places it is really impressive and testament to the quality of this so as i say it's obviously nepotism corner i'm i'm being nice because i want to like it but i i do genuinely really enjoy this so hopefully you go away and check it out for yourself So I thought now might be a good section to uh, go into one of those little reminiscing moments about the podcast. I've done a whole interview with my sort of early co-host for the podcast, Rob, uh, that sort of comes up later on in this. So I'll go for something that's a bit later on. But um, so the, the thing I wanted to mention is so the original format of the podcast and kind of saying we initially like struck to quite rigidly was it was always going to be we'd cover four or five albums and there wasn't really themes to them, because I think early on we were always scared of like, oh, we don't want an alienate an audience by seeming like we're just a death metal podcast, or, you know, just just doing X genre. So it was like these really mismatched kind of collections of albums. If you look at the, the selection we chose for the first album, I think it was Oceans of Slumber, 
Voices, an Ishan album, a, a an old obituary album, and a kind of obscure Bathory album, like really, really weird mixture. So initially these are like these 10, 15 minute long talk sets, and we used to play like full clips of the songs, because when I started I was I had this like strange idea that it was like unreasonable to edit someone's music down. Um and I sort of stuck to that idea for a while, but you know, obviously it became completely unwieldy when you're, you know, often wanting to talk about songs that are, you know, more than four minutes long. It takes up like half the bloody episode just playing the clip and yeah, it was a strange thing. And those early episodes are kind of messy. Like Rob, the the old sort of co-host, was much better at talking than me. Um, particularly in the first episode, like I, I'm clearly so nervous, I say nothing of interest despite talking about arms. I sort of know and love, um, and yeah, he sort of like saves those early ones. But um, you know, it came together into something. And then we get those some of the interesting change I had with the podcast was around um, episode thirty four, where I decided to start doing it by myself, um, and I did one an episode uh, based on the French black metal scene where I covered, um, what was it, Despot Omega, Alceste, Amasurs, Archon and Faustus, and Blutus Nord. Um, yeah, but bands, like, it's funny, like, Despot Omega are like a band I sort of distanced myself from in later years. And but this was funny in twofold ways because episode 34 was, for absolutely ages, the most played episode of the podcast. And the first thing was, because it was just me talking to myself, Rob didn't really have time to do the podcast anymore, and I was like, oh, I, I sh this might be done. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a go doing my myself before I abandon the idea. But I was more or less ready to quit, but I, I did this out this episode as a test one. And I thought everyone was going to hate it, and there'd be no reaction to it. So when it turned up as, like, the most popular thing I'd ever done, that was kind of cool. Um... But then the other side of it is, yeah, I found out, like, sort of sort of possibly problematic connections with Despire because I had that twofold thing of, like, it's very nice and affirmative that people really like this episode, but also a little um, concerning that the, the most popular episode I'd ever done was on a band I kind of, I don't know, sort of wanted to distance myself from slightly. But I'm glad this, this whole format of just chatting to myself has kind of worked out. But I think it's also the reason... Um, I might have to stop doing the podcast so much anymore because I'm pretty going to drive myself mad getting this good at talking to myself. Also, in preparation for this episode, I did the really maddening thing of going back and listening through a lot of the episodes to, um, you know, try and remind myself of what they were like. And it, it it's interesting going back to one. So I was trying to find like some I thought were particular favourites. Um, I remember the the Earache Records one was the first one where sort of. For those who haven't heard it, I tried to go through all of Eric's catalogue between 1985 and 95 and sort of chart the kind of evolution of extreme metal via the releases of Eric Records, which was an exhausting project where I had to listen to like 60 or 70 albums. And it was really interesting to do, but it was really funny looking back at the episode. And it's kind of one of the many things that, you know, would need to change if I was to take this podcast more seriously and, and bring it back in any way was it desperately needed editing like it's it's a brilliant episode filled with me making really annoying pauses and just you know stumbling over words that just could have been clipped to, like genuinely I think you could have cut 15 minutes of random noises from the two hours of that episode 
Um, and now this episode is probably going to be full of it because I'm trying to do this in a hurry. So, yeah, but <laughs> you could definitely go judge me harshly for, for not learning of those mistakes. But, yeah, if I was to do this more seriously in future, get a better mic and spend a bit more time on the bloody editing. I think on top of that, there was some other, like, sort of fun ones we've done over the years which kind of got a bit away from the sound of formula, which I really wish I'd kind of come up with more ideas to do, like... I I really liked the the kind of very bizarre episode we did with uh, Jenna Scaramanga doing um, a guitar terminology was um, was amazing because we got a note from some friends who don't play saying we we'd use like notes on guitar technique too much so we got them into uh, to play certain things on guitar and explain what that technique was you know you'd hear the noise and explain what the technique was I thought that was a really fun idea. Um, and, and then, like, then doing, like, they say, the, the separating the artist from the art discussion was, was interesting. Also, something I really wish I had kind of time and energy to do again was episode 50, we did a thing where we got listeners to send in, like, 30-odd suggestions to review and just did that. And, like, I, I, I would like to do a lot more of that. I mean, I know, um, I know Into the Combine do, like, a fantastic job of those kind of, like, listener suggestion sections and yeah i'd really like to really like to have made more time for those in hindsight but you know i think one of the biggest fuck-ups i did with the podcast as well was that um series got really into the idea of but i'm not sure it's remotely listenable in hindsight with those episodes where i tried to do like top 15 albums of each year to chart the entire decade like firstly those lists are always stupid like they're fun but they're so kind of meaningless and I don't think I put a lot of weight into them, but they were so exhausting to research because I'd give myself the task in a month to listen to, like, every album I could think of of interest from a year, which is obviously, like, nigh on impossible. Um, yeah, so they were always just really messy. And then doing that summarised, like, top ten of the decade one, like, it was a fun idea, but, like... Um, but I just thought my list was a bit stupid for it in hindsight. Like, I like all those bands, but they possibly weren't the best for discussion, like, you know, getting a room full of my friends to talk about them. Oh, and that's reminiscing for a moment. Let's get into another review. So this band um, was recommended to me by listener Matthias quite quite insistently. He, he, he got in touch a few times saying, I definitely like this band. And he's so incredibly right. Um, so thanks a lot for that, Matthias. This is Ash and Spire with their second album, Hostile Architecture. So Ash and Spire are a Scottish band who've been active since 2013 and sort of, you know, seemingly quite a gradual process to uh, to their second album in 2022. What's, um, like, this is another one, they're going to have the same problem with Imperium, of they have a very obvious point of comparison this band really have a sort of common sound with A Forest of Stars. If you're not familiar with A Forest of Stars, fantastically weird black metal band. Something so incredibly British about them. They have a huge lineup where there's like eight of them on stage. So they've got a lot of additional instrumentation. And their songs are this quite kind of long, progressive structures with lots of layers and sort of interesting stuff but what really stands out is the very intense bizarre vocal delivery which has this kind of poetic dramatic storytelling and this real kind of sense of almost like where, where stuff like kind of descends from almost singing or screaming into this kind of 
dramatic acting in places. Now, where Ash and Spire differ from A Forest of Stars is they use that kind of dramatic sensibility to the the um, the vocal delivery to talk about very kind of modern feeling political stuff like the the aesthetic of the band is not a million miles off something like white ward where it's very rooted in sort of modern kind of dense city architecture whether the am's called hostile architecture which i think is like sort of a reference to things like homeless spikes a, a theme that comes up in the album the 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 first track is this kind of very aggressive um screed about kind of uh, like industrial housing and homelessness etc the law of asbestos and the, the whole album has this like real um angry vibe that fits so well with sort of the modern political situation in the uk it seems to be like a very distinct reaction to a lot of things but has enough poeticism and kind of complexity to it it can be sort of like abstracted away from that and and what really does make it like it's something like this would live or die on the vocal delivery but uh vocalist alistair dunn really put so much kind of energy and passion into what like his delivery that it's it's incredibly overwhelming and just immensely kind of devastating emotionally like i i, I really just i always I was absolutely blown away by this album as soon as I got about halfway through the the first track where the lyrics started to sort of seep in and I was like, oh shit, this is this is really brilliantly written. I won't dwell on the lyrics too much more because I think it's something to, you know, go away and sort of read yourself along the songs, me quoting sections for it is is hardly going to sort of improve anyone's opinion of it. But what I sort of like like about this musically i think it has a huge amount to offer sort of completely away from that kind of uh element of the imagery um the actual like orchestration of the songs is amazing like the so the band is like i think it's a, a nine-piece lineup all guest musicians kind of included where on top of the core of guitar bass and drums we have violin um uh sort of saxophone hammered dulcimer um piano um multiple different vocalists like soprano tenor baritone are all sort of credited along with the various screamers and so on on the album so you've got like a huge amount of different like sort of voicing going on between the main vocalists incredibly varied and weird approach and as i say these songs are these great often like eight minute long things that kind of rise and fall with like the sax being interestingly between like sometimes very melodic and beautiful sometimes uses a really kind of like harsh attack the the black metal of it is it's certainly in that vein of like avant-garde black metal where this isn't particularly traditionally structured and doesn't lean towards blast beats for particularly long sections like the the kind of stuff that the really fast tremolo picking it's used kind of sparingly there are huge sections of this that might be termed like sort of jazz rock or folk rock there's a, a lot of that kind of energy going on there so this is a you know you you would have to like saxophone and metal to enjoy this and 
you probably want the like a basic level of appreciation for like folk or jazz influence in music. If you don't really like that kind of sound, I don't I don't think Ash Inspire would would appeal. But what kind of really excited me about it was the idea of having that kind of weirdo avant-garde black metal, which as I say, removed from the lyricism would be really interesting. But I've I've rarely he- heard that used for super political stuff like um maybe i'm missing a really obvious example here but it it's it's nice to have like this really abstract music used to make a not particularly abstract point as i say that the the songs are not entirely rooted in place or time but the themes are very very clear and it's it's interesting to use this yeah very strange hard to pin down music to communicate that because it has the intensity of a lot of weird black metal and um, I think that really works well. So one thing I found after that sort of six-month period where I sort of stepped away from checking out any new music is just the sheer weight of, like, albums by really well-known entities in the metal scene that I've been struggling to catch up on since. There is... Like, I made a post about this the other day and got recommended so many that I just completely forgot to come out. Like, I forgot Porcupine Tree had a new album out. I've still not heard it yet. I've not heard the new Bloodbath... Lots of stuff just by having that short gap to, like, the amount of that I missed, let alone kind of all the cool, interesting stuff, like, like kind of things we've, um, we've already been covering in this episode. So it is amazing how quickly you can kind of lose track of that stuff and, and sort of how useful I find, like, following kind of the general opinion on stuff is so I know which albums not to bother with just because there's so many out there. Um, but one I couldn't really avoid in this this kind of final episode is there's a new album from Psy. I've already kind of, with that like two-part episode in the band, very much uh, set myself up as a bit of a super fan. And their latest album, Shiki, was kind of an interesting prospect. 
Something that struck me really early on about this was the the single for the album. I sent everyone a bit of a curveball, uh, Meonaka no Kai. Um, kind of felt like something off of Imaginary Sonescape, but with a much more kind of intense and complex drum performance. So I think there was definitely rumblings before this album came out that they they might be going in, in a kind of you know, a very popular direction of trying to recreate possibly their most popular album. Now, if you've not heard that, um, well, spoil that now, that's very much not the case. That song is actually a real outlier. It's one of the better tracks on the album, so it wasn't a terrible choice in single, but um, it definitely, I think, threw people for a bit of a loop. The other thing I noticed, sort of looking to the lineup of this, there seems to be some strangeness going on internally with Sai at the moment. So... So sort of before recording, um, guitarist uh, Yo Oshima, uh, who was with them for the last two albums, exited the band, so there's a new lead guitarist in the picture. Um, but also on this album, um, bass player Satoshi, who is a founding member of the band, uh, the drummer for all the albums up to Imaginary Summerscape, and the bass player from that point on, is only credited as playing on one track. And the the drummer who sort of uh, came in afterwards, uh, Junichi Harashima, who's been with the band since 2004, doesn't play on the album either. The The bass duties are primarily handled by Frederick uh, Lacroix, who's kind of very kind of um, well-known bass player. He played with Dragon Force quite famously. He's currently in Creator and Loud Blast incredibly like experienced players being with a lot of bands um but yes uh, th th those are probably where you'd recognize him from and then um sort of another sort of quite hired hand musician uh mike heller comes in on on drums uh he, he like he's currently drums with with fear factory and malignancy he would probably be quite notable also according to his metal archives he was the drum teacher for John Longstreet, Ken Bedeen, and Kevin Lane, if you know those names, definitely gives you an idea of this guy's style. Like, he, he's primarily, like, a tech def guy, which is interesting choice for a Psy album. But I think it adds something interesting to this. The lineup then is rounded out by uh, new guitarist Nozumi Wakei. And they... Uh, Nozumu Wakei, I think, sorry. Um... They are definitely an interesting presence on this because they kind of dress like if someone thought Yingwei Malmsteen was a little understated and they play like someone thought Yingwei Malmsteen was a little understated. They're fucking brilliant. Like, the, the so I always really liked Sai's first lead guitarist and then you really step things up a notch in terms of the, the sort of lead guitar, like the solos, um... And Nazumu has stepped up yet again. They they're playing on this is absolutely wonderful. They they throw in these absolutely brilliant show stealing leads um, on almost every track on the album. So if you like those moments of Sai where they get a bit self indulgent and kind of you know very technical musiciany. Um, this album's full of that kind of stuff, and that, that, that I really like. But the other side of it is un unsurprising, with Mike Heller producing drums, actually, Shiki's quite a brutal album. It's um, It's got a real intensity, uh, 
uh, tracks, tracks like uh, Shikabane or uh, Sasushi both kind of felt very pummeling. But being Sai, they, they find their moments to to get into stuff that's, um, you know, there's there's the, the more melodic uh, synth passages and there's a lot of that, that kind of strange far away uh, vocal effect Mariah will often put on his cleans, which, which sounds very cool. Uh, so there's moments where they get into that, but primarily this seems to be more at a kind of speed where Sai are doing that thing they, they mess around with quite a lot with, like, we're going to play Venom riffs and then throw prog rock keyboard and guitar solos over the top of them. Um, and Mariah's vocal performance for most of this is in the kind of more intense, harsh range. Um Dodger McCannibal's still kind of a, a full part of the lineup, adding a few bits of saxophone throughout, often as more as a kind of texture rather than throwing in for for big solos. And as always with Mariah, he is credited with a string of instruments I won't try and list because I don't know what half of them are, but it, you, you still got all that cool thing of lots of kind of kind of traditional-esque wind instruments thrown over some of the riffs, so over these kind of venom riffs with a tech def bass uh, tech def drummer um we get bits of you know very beautiful sounding flutes and stuff it's it's a really nice touch and it, it's just that kind of thing if it wasn't Psy and we weren't accepting they're on the 13th album we're all kind of somewhat used to what they do this would be ridiculous this would be such a strange artifact I think with their arms, I always have a little bit of trouble processing um, whether, like, where, like, exactly where what I feel about them. Like, Air, of Despair, Air to Despair, their 2018 album, I very much liked when it came out, but I've still gone back and forth, and I've never quite worked out how I feel about it. Um, Grave Ward, the one before, I always felt was let down by bad production, and that's something Shiki definitely gets right. It's a wonderful production. Also, it's a really nice touch that the album cover looks like kind of more traditional Japanese art, which feels like a real um, kind of throwback to some of their earlier releases, like um, particularly the kind of infidel art kind of era. Um, so so that, that, that's like a real nicety in there. So I think in summary, this is an immensely fun album that's well worth checking out. Whether it will stand as like one of size greats, Time will tell. I mean, it's, it's been out less than a month at this stage, but I, I really think it at least deserves attention for the time being because I love how this band always seem to be pushing themselves to just be kind of weird and over the top on their own thing, um, no matter what sort of direction they're going in. <laughs>
so next up a bit of self-indulgence again um what follows is a chat i had earlier today with uh, my sort of earlier in the podcast co-host rob but do stick around because he recommends some cool music towards the end of it for this segment um i got rob back for the first episode in quite a while i, I don't think you've been on since the was it the mastodon one the last one you did i think for? i think the mastodon one was the last one a lot has happened since then it's been a bit of a crazy world but yeah it's really nice to be back for this yeah so um for those of you who have started listening to the podcast more recently rob was co-host for like all the first 30 or so episodes and then has been involved with quite a lot on and off since that point but the last um sort of over lockdown i sort of started doing it more by myself so yeah rob how do you like what do you remember of getting into the podcast or like yeah back when we started back in i think summer 2016 i think that's right yeah i remember recording the first episode in my parents kitchen um just like hunched around the tiny little recorder that you just brought um and remembering that it sort of started, I think, from we talked about one of your flatmates suggesting you need to do a podcast called Phil's Breakfast Metal because you used to listen to weird metal when having breakfast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it comes through a weird place. But, um, yeah, it's really cool. I think one of the things that I was looking back through all the episodes and one of the things that really stands out to me is just how many other cool people we've managed to get involved or you've managed to bring in throughout it. Um I remember do, doing episodes with like Ollie and Finn and Hannah and Orestes and Simon and Jake and so many people and getting a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, we hadn't heard um, and just getting that sort of like finding those bands, those really little sort of unique bands that someone just happened to have come across at a gig or stumbled across the CD and then actually getting to delve quite deeply into it is a really nice thing. Yeah, and you bring up something there, like, I stopped doing that so much, particularly when I was recording at home, just because the editing was so much harder of doing episodes where we got friends and people from, like, the local scene in. Um, but I think those were actually really good for getting us into sort of certain stuff over the years. Like, uh, I remember Caitlin sort of getting me into stuff like Alstafir Listen or um, Simon bringing along Hamford, which are all bands I might well have missed if... Um, don't know why I've gone for two from Iceland there, but yeah, like, oh no, one's from Faroe Islands, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah like, yeah. Uh, these are stuff like I otherwise would have completely missed, and it was nice to get, like, other people's perspectives on stuff, um, yourself included. Yeah, and I think it's just, it's one of those things where you're never going to have been able to have found everything yourself, it's just impossible. And I think similarly, you know, a bit after that, we did the sort of listener recommendation stuff, and it's just really fun being able to source that, and uh, even though I haven't, I was never really managing this stuff. Just seeing the sort of feedback that we got on the episodes and people suggesting things was always a really cool thing, um, particularly for something which you know started off as just a weird idea and a and a hobby. And I think you took you took it in essentially a professional direction, but you know that's where it came from originally. Yeah, well, um, sort of as Rob's almost alluding to, like this started out when we were sort of doing Void Titan as a kind of. Um just a thing where we'd practice in my old uh, like basement flat we used to have these long conversations afterwards and we're like oh this wouldn't take a lot of effort to make into a a professional-esque thing where we do a bit of research and have some notes rather than just doing it freeform while we're hanging out yeah and i, and I think for me what and, and you sort of talked about this recently with taking a break from new music it did make me pay attention to new music more than I would, uh, which, you know, it can be a good thing and a bad thing, but there were definitely some really great stuff coming out of that, of really honing in and seeing, right, what's happening right now? What are all the new things that are coming out? Um, which, yeah, I think can be a good thing to take a step back from, but it's also quite cool sometimes. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's quite interesting actually because if you look, I, I would argue sort of because um, we we did uh, we tended to do the best of the year kind of stuff together. Our like twenty sixteen top ten was kind of terribly research versus like our 2017 and yeah. 2018 ones i was like i'm quite proud of those lists in a way of like I, I felt i knew what i was talking about that year going back to 2016 i was like i really didn't have my ear to the ground and i think you sort of similarly like we we sort of made that change going into like doing this more and it's because i think we had a lot of listeners like recommending stuff or or at least we were more switched on to other people sharing stuff yeah, and I think became, we became much better at talking about stuff as well. It sort of forces you to when you spend so long trying to dissect stuff, but I think you can get so much more out of something when you really take that time with it, and that's not to say it's the only way to enjoy it, but you can get so much out of an album if you really pour over it. Yeah, I think as well, I was listening back to the first couple of episodes in preparation for this, you definitely saved one or two of the early ones, but I just wasn't, <laughs> like, you are so much more interesting on the first episode than me. Like, you clearly kind of, like, put your thoughts together, and I was uh, kind of floundering at it a little. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all part of developing, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, um, you, you said you had a couple of episodes like in mind that you'd like to to mention. So should we go through those now? Yeah, shooting through some of the ones, I was just looking back through everything. Um, the first one that really stood out to me that I really remember enjoying when it came out is the Mother's Day special, <laughs> uh, which was episode eleven. Um, which yeah, you got your mum on and talked about some of the bands that she liked. Yeah, I always remember like liking that as an idea of sort of leaning into that bit of metal that we ourselves don't tend to listen to so much of of like the quite accessible modern end of i think what's like you know touching on gent and progressive metal that actually a lot of the older generation really enjoy and people who've kind of like not got another outlet for um their music liking who don't like the radio might not have come across but is is actually incredibly accessible like the kind of so for those who didn't listen to that episode, it's kind of stuff like Leprous and Haken, I think, were in it. Yeah, because I, um, my mum recently asked me for five metal songs to listen to because she was curious about the stuff I listened to. So I sort of thought about it for a while and sent her some stuff. And there was a bit of Iron Maiden, a bit of Dio, some Leprous and things. And then from that, she actually went and happened across Oceans of Slumber um, and sort of came back to me and said, oh, these guys are great. Have you heard of them? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 they're amazing. That's a, and she loved the cover of Nights in White Satin, so I had to explain to my mum what a blast beat was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, on from that, uh, some stuff I really liked. Um, well, okay, this is an episode I, I didn't like recording. Um, was our top 20 of 2017 which was an awful fucking idea for us to have done because we sat down and recorded for three to four hours. I think it was um, more than four hours, the actual recording session. It was ridiculous. It was horrible. We prepared these massive top 20 lists with tons of stuff. And I just remember, I think Agacocca was our album of the year um, that year. And, and getting to talking about Renaissance and Extremists and desperately struggling to still sound enthusiastic because we've been talking for nearly like five or four hours yeah because we, we hadn't got the hang of getting out of like, and this is something that I kind of see in the later episodes like being able to talk for like two minutes about something when we're used to doing like 14 minutes on an album yeah. and when you're doing that for each segment of 20 yeah exhausting stuff it started strong but bloody hell yeah. that steam that episode yeah just pushing us beyond our actual human abilities despite all the music being great 
<laughs> I remember going out to the pub after that and like just being like asleep because I'd just been talking for too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, following that, there was what I remember quite fondly the Bristol scene report that we did, episode thirty, talking about some of the local Bristol bands, which. Yeah, like it, and it will be really interesting to sort of look back at that and think how much has changed since then. You know, think of lots of interesting stuff that's happened that you know won't have had a chance to be updated. The 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 scene report one actually is. I, I've been chatting to this the like sort of friends who are local in the metal scene. There's a sort of really sad element of that of because of COVID. Like obviously it's hit businesses and stuff, but also it's really hit bands and like loads mm. of the Bristol staple metal bands have broken up or like fallen out due to like inactivity and having that time apart and I, I assume that's going to be true across the world but like yeah that was it was weird to look back on a lot of that of um so many of those bands aren't on about anymore like the people involved are still doing stuff but kind of gone their separate ways yeah it, it is a weird time capsule because of when it happens just before the pandemic which yeah as you say is kind of sad but also kind of nice to reflect on how much good stuff there was happening other stuff that I remember fondly was um, our brief foray into more serious stuff, talking about separating the art from the artist in episode 47, um, which, you know, sadly is not something we've left behind with people in metal being shit. They're always out there. But um, yeah, I think it's something that's worth thinking about. I don't think it should be your main focus when you're just listening to metal because you like it, but it's something you've got to reckon with every now and then. Yeah, I was really happy to do that and like, it was just more than anything it was nice for an episode like that just to sort of lay your cards on the table and be like well this is where i stand just so i can make the point if i was ever collaborating with someone i was like well you know you might like that artist but you know i um i made a stance where i don't really want to talk about that kind of stuff and, it, and it's it's a weird one it just it reminds me of the weird experiences you have listening to like black metal i was I found this uh, band called Grima, who are a Russian black metal band who I found recently and thought, oh, this sounds quite cool. Right, I better do the obligatory search to see if there's anything dodgy about them. And there's not, which is great. But it, it's one of those really weird experiences that I think sometimes in other genres, other people I speak to who are really into different types of music, they don't really have that experience. Um, so it's just a weird thing to reflect on. Yeah, it is, it is a sort of fascinating qualm of black metal. We're hardly the only genre with problems, but it is interesting that even within metal, there is like this subgenre is like, well, you've always got to check black metal, but death metal, you hardly need to bother. They tend not, yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> tend not to be quite so um, difficult at that front. Um, the next episode, I think probably, yeah, my favourite one uh, was the Agalock episode, which was episode 65. Um, Agalock, one of my favourite bands of all time. Um, and it was just really cool to go through all of their albums, look at those sort of changes in sound, have a look at some of those side projects. So that was just a really sort of exciting one for me. Yeah, I, I think that's the first one where we did that idea of like um, trying to like deep dive way beyond like the kind of logical point of like including mm. hundreds of side projects. Um, yeah, quite a lot of stuff. Was that was that early into lockdown or a bit before that? I can't remember. I. I think that might have been locked down. I'm not sure. I am, time has gone. <laughs> yeah, time, time is... has gone weird. <laughs> I think that might have been like sort of April or May 2020. Uh, yeah, 2020. So yeah, yeah, that was one of the first ones he sort of did remotely. Because that was sort of the other weird change of moving from doing everything on that kind of crappy in room mic to the sort of recording like we are now over a call where I can edit things a bit more. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah, obviously forced by something that's kind of shit, but in a way, it kind of helps with a lot of things. It makes the production a bit easier. You don't have to physically get everyone together in the same room. Um, and in that vein, the next uh, pair of episodes was our Mastodon um, episodes with Finn, which was 75 and 76, as following from what you said, a similar thing of going, right, there's Mastodon, and here's all these side projects. Uh, too many to listen to. But, like, really interesting to see that context. And between three people, you can actually get a decent handle on all of the different parts of it. I think that one deserves special mention purely for being... We managed to cover, barring three that are just not on the internet, every single release that a member of Mastodon has been on. Like, absolutely everything that they have been on as an official member. Didn't include guest performances, but yeah... Which I think was somewhere in the realm. It was over a hundred releases. Yeah, which yeah, it's, it's, again seems completely ridiculous. It feels like the top twenty of twenty seventeen, but somehow we've managed to do that without completely destroying ourselves. I think yeah, it was getting to the hang of the, doing that format as like a sentence or two reviews for ones where we were less into it, so we could yeah. kind of pile on. Yeah, um, but yeah, that. Um, that sort of ends my memorable list. Um, I, I think that, so um, for listeners who don't know, I have had cancer recently and recovered from it. Um, so I'm fully in remission now, but that sort of marks the point at which I was no longer paying attention because other stuff was happening. Yeah, Rob hasn't been absent for the last year or so through any kind of fallout. And it equally like Voidtite and went very much on hiatus for the same reason of while Rob's been recovering, all the stuff we've been doing is on, on hold. Unfortunately, like the podcast would move to a point where I could still do it without without your help. Although it would have definitely would have been nice to have a few more episodes together, like over that period. But yeah. um, are, are there any highlights for you in particular of the recent stuff you've been doing? So yeah, the recent stuff I think's been like I kind of like where it's got to, but um, I think it's all the things like I really enjoyed doing the the thoughts on taking a break. Those kind of looking back at older stuff, I thought was really cool. Um, Oh, and yeah, the, the one that I don't think was particularly popular, but I loved it, was doing that, like, loose history of saxophone and metal. I haven't seen an equivalent of that, like, sort of tracking guest appearances through the years like that. I, I think that's kind of a an interesting artefact for those who care. Yeah, in inspiring someone years down the line to do sort of histories of clarinet and metal once that's got a bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yes, yeah, so since we got you on, Rob, and you haven't been about for a while, we thought it might be nice to, um, to let you get some recommendations in of just stuff you've been enjoying recently. I haven't got anything hugely new, but some of the stuff I've been enjoying, um, probably my top recommendation at the moment is um, Knowledge Through Suffering, um, which is uh, an Italian sort of death doom band. Uh, it's their, well, it's their first full-length release called Concealment, which came out last year in September um, 2021. And it is, it is brutally punishing for like a Death Doom release. Uh, the theme of the record is it's about God's disappointment with his own creation. Um, and fucking hell, it sounds like it. It's really punishing and nasty and heavy. And it's got this sort of industrial death edge to it. Then with like slow Doom bits that kind of sound a bit like esoteric. Really good. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, are there anyone particularly known in that band, or is that? Uh, no, it is a one-man project. Because um, there's loads of these these days doing amazing stuff. Um, and Umberto Pancina 
is the guy behind it, uh, who's been in a few other sort of bands, none that I immediately recognise. Uh, but this, yeah, they, they had an EP in 2020, but this is the first full length. Um, and I, I just happened to stumble across it. I think No Clean Singing did a, a preview of it and it sounded really, really good. And the thing I love about it is it's only 30 minutes. Uh, which is fantastic for something that's like slow and incredibly heavy. Normally when you're looking at a Death Doom or a Funeral Doom thing, you're going to end up with really long albums, but this is so sort of tight um, and it's got this amazing wall of sound production. I love it. Yeah, um, next is something, I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but it's an album I've been coming back to recently and it's Horrendous's Idol, um, which I think was 2018. Um, really cool, sort of slightly uh, techy death metal. Um, in a sort of like kind of later death extrapolated way um, I think so the bass work on this album is phenomenal if I remember correctly they just got a new bass player for this album and it really stands out it's a fantastic album I don't think it made it into our top list but I may revise that if I go back to it yeah I can't I remember we definitely talked about it at the end of 2018 but I think it might have like ended up in the honourable mentions which is interesting because like like now like a lot of friends like I talked to for the podcast are just diehard horrendous fans so yeah. like <laughs> yeah yeah that's that, that was a really cool album is that that's the, still the latest thing they've done isn't it I think it is yeah oh cool um, so hopefully we've got more in that vein coming soon yeah, it's, it's a weird sort of thing when you look back at the things that you ranked as top and how that's changed over time, because I think it definitely has with that. Um, the next thing I wanted to recommend is something that I kept meaning to cover on the podcast at some point, but never got round to, um, and it's a band called Halenthon. Um, the album in particular is with Vilest of Worms to Dwell. Um, so they are a Hungarian band, and they do this sort of... Um, traditional heavy metal thing with a slightly thrashy edge to it um, and include a fair amount of classical music and orchestras as we were talking about before. Um, and this is just a really cool little album. Um, the follow-up album is really good as well. I just need to remind myself of what its name is. It's got a great single called um, uh, Sons of Perdition. Opus Magnum is the later album. So with Virus to Worms Dwell is 2001 and Opus Magnum is 2008. Um, and these guys apparently are still together, um, but they haven't done anything since an EP in 2009, but they're definitely worth checking out. Um, for UK listeners, there's quite a funny thing in it. One of the songs on With Vilest of Worms Dwell, um, it's got a sample of some orchestral music in it, and it's the theme for The Apprentice in the UK, um, which is <laughs> a fantastic piece of music and fits the song really well, but it's really weird when you associate that with Alan Sugar and all of The Apprentice <laughs> yeah. stuff. <laughs> That's incredible. I haven't li clearly haven't listened to that album recently enough. I've never spotted that. It's yeah. I, I only noticed it when we were going on holiday, and I was listening to the album in the car, and I was like, "Oh no, I know this bit of music." <laughs> Uh, it's pretty as well showing our ignorance that's definitely a very famous classical piece we're not remembering yeah. the name of <laughs> yeah I remember looking it up at the time and being like I'm, I'm pretty sure the reason it's used is because it's old enough to be in public domain and therefore pretty much anyone can use it for those interested the classical piece in question is Dance of the Nights by Prokofiev um, the next thing is sort of yeah, going for a little bit, there's a band who I've been really into who don't really fit into the podcast, a band called Stiu Nu Stiu, 
who are a Finnish sort of post-rock goth outfit. Um, they've just released a new album called New Sun, which I really like, um, but it's worth exploring all of their back catalogue. Um, they've got, particularly some of the earlier stuff in the back catalogue, they've got some sort of uniquely unsettling, like, high vocals, which I really like, alongside some really sad but catchy music, um, which I think we've covered a few things sort of verging into the post-rock and goffy veins, so... They're really worth checking out. They've got loads of stuff and they're still releasing things fairly regularly. So definitely worth it. I think there definitely would have been scope for doing an episode in that vein. But yeah, it's certainly one of those like on the periphery of our knowledge. Yeah, it's 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 even now, it's just harder to talk about. I don't really know how to describe some music like that. Um, and I think the final thing is something that you recommended me, um, which is Thy Catafalque. Um, oh, with yeah. their album Vadak, which is an amazing mix of like heavy, groovy riffs and big synths, uh, and I really, really like it. Uh, again, came out last year in June, um, but it's yeah, it's it can be really surprisingly heavy um, with some of the riffs in this, uh, and just has some really cool sort of prog mixed with like synthwave with some like almost groove metal type stuff. Really cool. Yeah, it's 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 a very unique album. It's kind of all over the place. I think I. Th I think I could be wrong on this thing. Is uh, listener Donovan who we've had on for an episode recommended recommended me that one a while ago? But yeah, if you like that kind of like progressive Norwegian scene stuff, particularly when it's getting like very out there, strange, that's an amazing example of it. Mm. And I think um, I may be mistaken, this, but I think I saw somewhere that it won an award um, in Hungary. But, really? Uh, yeah, I, I, possibly. I, I don't really know much about the music scene there, but it would be really cool if something like this was getting a lot of attention. I think the guy behind that project is like relatively well known, although the, for me that album was like the first I'd ever ever heard of the band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Um, but those are some of the things I've been listening to recently. I've been a bit out of it recently on what's been happening in general in music because everything that's been going on, but that's some of the stuff I've been listening to. That's a really cool little list there. I'd say, yeah, like, uh, all the stuff in that I've heard, I'd definitely second. Like, yeah, the Holland Film one particularly is frustrating because that's definitely something... I think we, we were trying to find the episode to fit it in, but never, never really did the Symphonic Metal episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a genre that I don't normally delve into that much. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, would have uh, another, another possible project uh, had it come to that. But yeah, um, well... Obviously, Rob, thanks thanks a lot for your time for doing this. And also, you know, thanks for all the years on the podcast. We definitely, like, it would not have started if I didn't have that second person to talk to for those first 30 episodes. Plus, as you say, some of those projects like the Agalock on the Mastodon one would have been insurmountable as a one-man <laughs> kind of outfit. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone was doing the 100 uh, hours listening for the Mastodon one <laughs> by themselves. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been an amazing thing to be part of, to see a sort of little, like, idea and a hobby develop into something that I think you've done, in, like, an amazingly professional job on and covered some really interesting stuff and made some great connections with people around the world. So at this stage, I realise I'm about an hour and 15 into this episode. Um, I've already recorded the kind of thank you list to go at the end. So wary of making the farewell episode four hours long, I think I might forgo putting in any kind of older reviews. There's a lot of stuff like, you know, I have my... Um, my desktop is full of folders of ideas I want to get to with the podcast, but I think I I have to accept if I'm stopping it. I'm just not getting to those. I'm not going to be able to um, to sort of fill in all those details. Um, 
so yeah, maybe maybe it's best I just sort of move on to the thank yous and close this one out here. Something I realised I sort of left out of that section, which I kind of just want to mention quickly, is um, please say stay subscribed to the feed. If I end up doing any collaborative episodes in future with other podcasts, I'll um, put like a short notification in there to let people know. So you know, I'm I'm still. I'm I'm not sort of retiring from ever talking about stuff. I just don't want to do this specific podcast anymore. So, if people do still want me on get as a guest, I'd still love to do that. And as I say, I'll, I'll put notes in the feed, um, and I may well come back to do the odd special or something if if the the mood takes me. In terms of like the the general archive of episodes, don't worry about downloading them all now. I'm essentially going to keep them up and keep paying for the hosting. As long as there's still people listening, and at the moment there's the you know there still is a lot of subscribers, so unless that sort of disappears off and I don't get any plays for a couple of months, I'll, I'll keep the the archive up there. So no worries on that front. So in terms of this being the final episode, it I, I don't necessarily guarantee this won't be coming back in any form. Um, although I definitely don't want this to be the uh, you know the first of 20 kiss farewell tours or anything like that i definitely will be stopping for a very good time um at any rate but i think if i was to come back i'd need to do a lot to make it more professional because the audio quality isn't good enough it's fine because it's free but i definitely need to invest in a proper mic and i probably right actually really should invest in doing some better like sort of graphics and artwork for the thing doing every episode cover as like a little collage is is terrible but the audio quality is really the thing like i have massive apologies to the sonic cloth for like that last episode like my uh, my mic was all over the place and there's some really really scratchy bits of audio that must have made that horrible to listen to so it's things like that where because it, you know it's just my money going into it and i don't sort of make anything for it i've never splashed out on like a 500 quid decent mic for it but i think if it was to come back i definitely need that uh and i am easily influenced um any of you who have talked to me about albums i dislike <laughs> which they enjoy will probably probably attest to this but yeah if en- i think if enough people do say like they're gonna really miss this or you know it's something they feel i should keep doing maybe i will resurrect it and then you know, nearer future, but we'll see. So as a final thing, um, I want to embark on a sort of quick thank you list, which is the most terrible idea because there's so many kind of cool listeners and people who have contributed over the years that by engaging with a thank you list at all, I'm definitely going to miss and uh, upset and offend people. So for that, I do apologise. Um, you're not missed because you're not respected and loved. It is purely because I'm recording this at midnight and my notes are not as good as they should have been going into this final episode. I, the rambling nature of this will definitely attest to that. I could have been far more prepared for this uh, this final one. But anyway, I will try my best. So first off, we have the obvious one has to be Requiem Metal Podcast. Like, I heard their podcast back in like sort of 2014, I think during their kind of like hiatus time. And they really, like, you know, they. I heard that format and went, that's brilliant. I reckon I could do something like that, but try and not cover the same albums as them. Obviously, over the years, we have definitely stepped on their toes and that kind of stuff. In fact, I was fully panning uh, an episode on The Chasm, and they beat me to it with a much better one. So, you know, they're still sort of the kings of this style, and, you know... 
thank you so much for <laughs> not only not hating me for totally ripping them off, but even give me a platform to let you know, let me come on and talk to them. I, in the similar vein, uh, into the combine, like incredible guys. Um, they were so nice to involve me so much in their episodes a couple of years back, and as I've plugged it a million times, but that whole thing they've um, they've set up with like the the backstage lounge is just one of the coolest metal hangout places I've I've ever found. Like they like. I've never found like such a kind of nice and welcoming community on the internet. Amazing people, and yeah, thanks so much, Stan, Shorty, and Jason. You you know, you do something amazing in your podcast, and I probably wouldn't still be doing this at this point, or anywhere near this point, if like we hadn't sort of connected and they helped me sort of grow the audience for this. In more recent years, um, the Sonic Cloth was I mean amazing that they they reached out to me to, to sort of worked together on a couple of episodes and I, I think the, the sort of two we did together on I Void Hangar and Peaceful Records are some of my best episodes just because of, you know, how much they added and their, their kind of brilliant delivery style. Obviously Heavy Hole, like, you know, fucking living the dream, getting to go on a podcast, chatting like random obscure metal with one of your favourite modern death metal vocalists. Uh, yeah, I, I I have no idea how sort of Will, Tom and Justin tolerated my kind of obsessive ramblings for that long, but you, thank you, thank you so much, guys. That, that, was, that was amazing. And sort of others who have been around over the years from the pit, um, Are You Morbid now, Shuffle Repeat podcast, like both very good for shouting out a lot of what I did and, um, and Punishing Brutality, like... Uh, Sadly, long done now, but uh, those guys were really cool for letting me come and guest host an episode, though. Yeah, like that was amazing. And then back to the more recent stuff um, The Serpent Temple on YouTube regularly has referenced me in their episodes and, you know, mentioned stuff I've said as being interesting, which is it's really fucking cool. Uh, in terms of in terms of like artists, obviously there's too many to list, but a couple that just struck me as interesting. The very short-lived but brilliant The Earls of Mars were the first band to ever share the podcast. I think they shared our... I think it might have been the second episode we did. I think I remember we were recording like maybe the fourth or fifth episode and I saw they'd shared it with a really nice little write-up. That was amazing. Uh, one of the other ones that stood out as absolutely mind-blowing was... Um, these again, suddenly now split up band Sub Rosa, uh, shared our top 10 of 2016. And they did a list of like eight or so publications that had um, covered them. And they were like Decibel Magazine and all these other ones giving them like sort of, you know, a spot in their top 10. And then <laughs> my stupid podcast, as you say with that, that kind of section with Rob, like, for 2016, we we didn't even I don't even think that was a particularly great show, but we got some really nice feedback from it. Equally, a very small band at the time, um, Zelanada, listened to that episode and uh, gave us some really nice feedback as well. Which thinking how big that band's got now is is kind of crazy. Something that's definitely got to stand as a crowning achievement was um, Black City Records. Uh, the amazing uh, vinyl and sort of heavy metal stuff shop uh, that's like set up in the last couple of years in Bristol, which 
if you're ever in Bristol, must go see that. But they, they do a little mini zine called Ripping Headaches. Um, and in the first edition of the zine, they were talking about, you know, what they'd been up to during lockdown. And, and my podcast got a lovely little write-up in there, which, you know, to be featured in a zine is, uh, you know, <laughs> it's sort of like a dream of anyone who's into, like, you know, classic... Uh, classic era death and black metal like yeah that was that was such an amazing thing obviously i want to thank all the sort of various guest hosts we've had over the years of of course rob but uh my friends ollie and orestes uh hannah tamara and caitlin my very patient girlfriend mel who's appeared on a couple who has been kicked out of the room while i record this um <laughs> thanks for all the uh yeah all the support over the years with this mel also friends on the local scene, both Jake and Simon, who did episodes sort of back a couple of years ago. And then more recent, some of like uh, my American friends who, who kindly agreed to do episodes, both Michael Tote and Donovan Zinnemann, uh, like did these brilliant episodes that introduced me to a load of cool stuff I like. I still listen to you today. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. It's 115 episodes. It's hard to, hard to remember everyone involved. But yeah, I, if, if you were involved in one, it was truly appreciated. And... And then lastly, the most important thanks is to, to everyone who sort of listened, particularly any who reached out or left a review of any kind. Like, almost every interaction we've had with this podcast has been really positive. I've I have had one piece of negative feedback in the entire lifetime of the podcast. Hilariously, the party involved is apparently still pissed off about it to this day, almost four years on, so... That's fascinating. You can't win them all. But, otherwise, getting off topic there, every bit of feedback we've had has been really nice. Like, I've had so many great interactions, so many brilliant recommendations I've never managed to go through all of, which which I do feel bad about, but also, the, you, know, the, you know, it's like the sheer volume of stuff. Um, like it, it is just hard to process everything out there. But thank you so much for those recommendations, and they are all in a giant folder somewhere, so... There is a good chance I'll get to them all one day. Like, they weren't totally in vain. I, I'm not going to start sort of naming listeners because, as I said, we've like we had too many kind of nice people reach out over the years, and I feel too bad for those I, I've missed. But just know that if you ever interact with me or you know there any kind of leaving a review, anything like that, it was massively appreciated. Really, really meant a lot. So, thanks so much for that. I think. I think that covers everything I kind of want to say. I've probably said far too much. It's probably been far too long. So I think the only fitting way to end this is to... Um, I'm going to leave you with the fairly rough, uh, raw version of that, that track I've used as our theme music, uh, which was a, a demo from a short-lived project of mine, which I very badly programmed the drums but very badly did a lot of the playing on along with my friends matt and robin um the the song was called breeding extinction from uh and the band was dead man's fingers so you can hear hear essentially the theme music in full i don't think this song necessarily holds up that this many years on but it might be of interest to you anyway so for the final time at least for the time being thanks a lot for listening
Shoot!